Welcome back, Whisper Nation, to the Fantasy Whisperers Matchup Breakdown Week 2. We're going over the first half of these games. We're going to give you all the ins and outs, the starts, the sits, the injury information up to date. We're going to let you know who you need to get in your starting lineup this week on this Matchup Breakdown Part 1 of the Fantasy Whisperers. Right here. That's right. Like Johnny said, we'll be talking the first half of the NFL slate of matchups and all the fantasy football implications of Sunday's games. But if you like that fresh fantasy football content and you want more of it, consider subscribing to the YouTube channel and our, and giving this and our other videos a like on your way in. That being said, welcome in Whisper Nation. My name is Big Travi. You can find me on Twitter at Big Travi TFW. I'm joined by Johnny Gametime Hicks, who you saw at the start here. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny underscore Gametime. What's going on, Gametime? Another week, boys. Another week. I can't believe it's already week two. I can't believe it, but it's going to be flying by. But I love this show because it just it gives so much insight to all of these games as we all talk and break down these games. And it even gives me a little bit of fantasy lineup advice. So that's what I love. That's what I love. Time goes by fast and slow all at the same time. On the other mic, we have Austin Sear, who you can find on Twitter at Austin underscore R underscore Sear. Austin. How are you, my brother? I'm doing pretty good, man. Yeah, today's the oldest you'll ever be and the youngest you've ever been. The youngest you'll ever be and the oldest you'll ever, you know, something like that. Something. And I'm feeling good, man. I feel good. I like this part of the season. It's this funny spot when we're still putting narratives from the offseason on the table, but we have a little bit of data to consume. So it's this balance <laughs> of expectations and then also what we've seen, how much relevancy do those small sample sizes hold. Stay tuned. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked about that a little bit in the waiver wire column where it's just like we're clinging on to a little bit of data to make sure that we go and blow our wob or fob on on a guy like, uh, you know, Elijah Mitchell or or, you know, some of the other guys that have been out there. But I wanted to talk to you guys real quick, uh, a little off topic here before we get into the show. Um, We've talked about hanging on to players till about weeks three or four. Mm -hmm. What was a player that you've had a bad taste in your mouth from holding on to for too long, Johnny? You maybe held out hope for just a week or two too long. um, And and it really burned you. Oh, I, I wouldn't, I don't have one that particularly comes to mind in general. Uh, But I will, I will say like, it is that difficult decision on, you know, in those first few weeks, do I carry a second quarterback? Do I carry this uh, flyer wide receiver? And I, I do, I have to say that on the opposite side, it would have to be, you know, where I, I, did hold on to players. I won't, I don't, I won't particularly say which one was it that did me in. Uh, well, actually I can Samaj P Ryan. It just came to me. Samaj P Ryan uh, back a couple of year go, years ago. I knew I should have dropped him for Alvin Kamara, but I didn't. And that was the year Alvin Kamara went off. I told him about, uh, I told him to you when you picked him up. So you got the goodies, uh, but that was definitely a, a frustrating one for sure. Austin, any guy coming to mind that you maybe held out hope for? We call them maybe projects or, you know, you know, flyers, guys that we're waiting on to kind of yeah. bloom. Michael Crabtree comes to mind. Baltimore Ravens, Michael Crabtree. And he actually represents a section of players that I think this would apply to for a lot of folks. And that's the lead wide receiver on a team, the lead wide receiver, who's just not that 
great. And it was a lesson that I actually took and applied to my future fantasy football efforts where you need to have talent at the wide receiver position. And of course, you guys are all professionals. They all have talent. I'm talking about differentiating talent where you separate yourself from the cornerbacks or the other wide receivers on your own team. And when you get these guys who are like technically the number one, like a, um, um, like anybody, Michael Pitts, like a Michael Pitts. Yeah, like Michael Pitts or like anybody in Detroit right now where there's just really no number one dog. You think you're getting the one. It doesn't convert from the way it does with running backs over to wide receivers. So, And then on the the flip side of it, Travis, somebody who I got rid of too early from the wide receiver spot was Chicago Bears' Alshon Jeffrey. When he Mm. – I I was was in on him. Yeah, it was like his – I don't know if it was rookie season or second season, but he broke out the week after I drafted him. And I was so high on him, too. I was really excited. It always sucks when that happens. Devontae Parker as well. Johnny picked him up in our league of record. The one year he popped off, I drafted him like round 13. Yeah, just an interesting thing how panic and fear kind of incite us here in fantasy football, but then also in real life. You know, we've had a lot of comments and questions about, you know, trades and getting rid of players and giving up on players. It's a big part of the waiver wire column that that I do and the waiver wire show that we do is, you know, who do you drop for these guys? And sometimes you make those bad decisions and they cost you dearly, other times not. But we're going to move on here and help you make better decisions with your lineups this week for week two. And our first game on the slate is the New York Jets hosting the New England Patriots. The line for this game is 42 and a half points on the over under. And we've got the New England Patriots favored on the road by five and a half. Uh, When we look at the Patriots side of the football, I think it starts with this run game. They built the game up to be a dominant run game that is, you know, basically bully ball that they wanted to play. They brought in the linemen. They brought in the tight ends. They want to run the football. They got rid of Sony Michelle, got rid of Cam Newton, and we saw a dominant performance out of Damian Harris. I want to talk about Damian Harris, and then maybe if James White is being overlooked, Austin, in this backfield, kind of give us the breakdown for these backs. Is he being overlooked maybe in full point PPR? Uh, if snap, I mean, If snap percentage got you points, man, I'd say absolutely. But James White really has more of a utility role in New England, and he's going to fill in cracks. He's going to get things done that he can rely on. Those things they're relying on him to do are not game-breaking highlight plays, unfortunately, the way they might be for you know other types of positions. So he's going to be on the field, and he's going to be a huge piece for New England. I just don't love him as a consistent running back in your lineup, given Damian Harris had 23 carries. My goodness, that translates to 416 carries. We know that's not actually going to be the case. That's going to come down. But Damian Harris, given the amount of work that he got, and more importantly, uh, the three targets that he had come his way. He had seven targets all of last season, Travis, and he had three targets in week one. It shows me they might be opening it up a little bit or leaning on Damian Harris a little bit. And we know, of course, he got the fumble. So that really opens the whole running back situation, Travis. But James White's role is fairly entrenched. You know, maybe there's room for another running back to come on up like a J.J. Taylor or something like that. James White right now is the most reliable, but because of how many mouths there are to feed in New England, given the traditional role we've seen from James White and the presumed ceiling that he would have, I don't think he's necessarily being overlooked. He'll probably dance around on your waiver wire, and he's a streamable flex option week to week, but I'm not looking at him as a consistent piece in my roster, Travi, unless, again, we're operating in a full-point PPR format. 
It's a great breakdown there, Austin. If we look at the pass catchers, you know, we talked, Johnny talked about his boy Jacoby all offseason, and he did lead this team in targets with nine. Only caught six of them for 44 yards, but we saw what we get out of Jacoby Myers, which is this dink and dunk offense and him being the target leader, the possession receiver, and a guy, especially in PPR, we're willing to roll out there in the nice, in the right matchup. Um, Nelson Aguilar, for, you know, conjecture here, he was basically five of seven for 72 yards and a touchdown. He had the average depth of target of 13 yards. 3.6 3.6 fantasy part, uh, points per touch. Remember, they went out and got Nelson Aguilar. So they like him a lot. They got him in free agency. Big play threat in the offense. I think decent plays uh, are here for both wide receivers. They're going to face a Jets defense that's bottom-ranked in pass defense right now. And I've seen a lot out of Mac Jones over the preseason and in this first game to really feel like even in, you know, or especially in these bad matchups uh, or good, I guess, bad defenses, good matchups that he's going to have, that he can take advantage of that. We looked at the. I want to look at the tight end position a little bit here. Uh, Jonu Smith, five of five for forty-two yards. He also got a rushing attempt. I think he's the best bet for any fantasy relevance in week to week. He's just the bigger upside tight end for me, and I think that's the safer play. Johnny, I wanted to ask you if there's any kind of radar you're looking at Mac Jones as a two QB uh, super flex option here this week. Yeah, I definitely think in a two QB league, you should be looking at starting him. I'd start him over some of these other guys in the same tier, you know, like your Derek Carrs, your I, I would even start him over Tua and and most likely will in a bunch of leagues uh, because the completion percentage is there. He looks to have a command of this offense. And then once again, you said the New York Jets, they're 28th in passing defense. I look for Mac Jones to really carve up this defense this week. So yeah, if you're in a two QB league, I definitely think you could get him in your lineup and it's pretty safe. But if it's a single quarterback league, I'm not going to throw him in there. There's no use. There's higher upside quarterbacks. Well, the single quarterback that the Jets are interested in or Zach Wilson or is Zach Wilson, who he, who they drafted uh, as their first round pick this offseason. And he seems to have great chemistry with one Corey Davis, Austin, who it just looks to be Corey Davis season for these pass catchers and maybe the only Jet you can trust these days. Yeah, early season support for Corey Davis is looking good following week one. Five of seven, 97 yards, two touchdowns, and led the team with an 89% snap share. Finished as the wide receiver five on the week. And I think there's actually reason to believe these numbers are going to stay up. I'm not saying he's a top fold wide receiver one, but I think he's going to be a relevant piece with a high ceiling all season long. Part of that is Corey Davis can handle the load. The other part factoring in is the wide receivers behind him and the competition that he would then have uh, Elijah Moore and Braxton Berrios are your top two dogs who would line up opposite and behind him on the depth chart. Elijah Moore, let's let the rookie warm up. He looked a little rusty coming in, had just one catch on four targets for minus three yards and Braxton Berrios finished second in fantasy points, but third in snap percentage with just 57%. So I like what Corey Davis is about. I also like the situation that he's in from a game flow perspective, from a depth chart perspective, uh, and from what Zach Wilson could be doing with his skill set and relationship there. Yeah, I love that. And I, what I don't love is this backfield in the Jets, uh, you know, running back room is not looking good. It looks like a complete muddled timeshare and it's just a complete mess. No back last week, Eclipse nine carries, no back game, more than 25 rushing yards. And in fact, combined, they all totaled 70 scrimmage yards. That's brushing and pass, uh, pass catching or receiving. Uh, the Jets only targeted the backs five times between all three of them. The coaching staff comes from San Francisco. We know that with Robert Sala and 
even LaFleur's little brother, Colin, plays over there. But this backfield seems to be the welfare version of that running back room. And uh, I, I'm fine dropping any of these guys. Hopefully you already did with some waiver wire options that hit this week because I just don't see something that's going to be, you know, profitable at the moment. Should one guy go down, maybe we'll see some increased usage for another guy. He'll, he'll end up on the waiver wire piece, but I'm just not confident in them. Uh, Johnny, are you confident in Zach Wilson this week? Or are you actually, I think you're targeting uh, against Zach Wilson here. Yeah, I would. Zach Wilson threw a pick last week against the Carolina Panthers. I would definitely 100% start New England Patriots defense this week. We know Belichick and how he likes to scheme up and, and really pit things against your own. I could definitely see where they really try to stop this run and say, all right, Zach Wilson, you're going to beat us with just Corey Davis, basically. And I, I want to point out, and this is a big piece, is that uh, Makai Becton, uh, offensive lineman for the Jets, placed on IR, and he when he went out of this game, it spelled big trouble for Zach Wilson. He was doing okay, was solid before the three, and once Becton, that offensive start i mean they start on zach expecting to happen this week patriots uh i do expect uh jets to be behind game trying to throw to catch up so uh yeah i would definitely start on patriots this week all right moving on to our next game we have the jacksonville jaguars hosting the denver broncos broncos coming in in a 45 point over under as six point road favorites and that's off of a performance that got them the w against a you know not very good giant squad in which Teddy Bridgewater showed up and showed out in a way that, you know, won them the game, uh, got their offense going. And so therefore we've had some interesting news come out of Denver here, Austin with Teddy Bridgewater getting hyped up by his boy, Von Miller. Do we buy any of that? Do we buy it for fantasy football purposes? How are we looking when we look at this matchup? Because Jacksonville should be exposable. Yeah, you know, and for those who hadn't seen the clip of Von Miller approaching Teddy Bridgewater during the game saying, hey, man, those little pep talks, those little words of encouragement, they go a long way. We haven't had that here in a while. I haven't had that feeling since number 18 was in the building, of course, being Hall of Famer Peyton Manning. So a incredible comparison for Von Miller to make for their new quarterback. Do I think that he's the replacement for Peyton Manning? No, of course not. But Teddy Bridgewater, let's go ahead and just take a look at him here. 28 for 36, efficient numbers, 264 yards, two touchdowns, 24 and a half fantasy points. You like that? You're not in love with it, but it's a nice, solid situation. And I think that's what you're going to find from him for the majority of this season. Bridgewater, he's got a low floor, I'd say, and a medium ceiling. But he's a pretty fairly consistent high-end QB, too. He's going to be in that 20-point range. He's not going to break 30 points very many times and i don't really think denver ever wants him to denver's play style is going to shift really not that much from what we saw in week one at least if they can help it uh, the team looks balanced defensively running wise and quarterback wise and i think that's going to continue which is just going to make teddy bridgewater a lower ceiling but fairly reliable play and this week going up against the second worst pass defense in jacksonville i like teddy bridgewater rolling him out yeah, if you waited on QB in your two QB leagues and you picked up a guy in Teddy and then he won the job, you're looking pretty uh, swell right now on these two matchups to start because I think it's not bad for your second QB on your roster at all. I want to say it hasn't been bad for Melvin Gordon at all in his first week as the quote-unquote starter, 11 carries for 101 yards and a touchdown, three of three receiving, which was a big note because he, you know, that's uh, three times more uh 
targets than Javante Williams got. Still not that much. We talked about small sample size before. 14th best running back performance from week one belonged to Melvin Gordon. We look at Javante Williams outcarried Gordon. 14 carries, but 44 yards, so less productive. One of one receiving for a negative four-yard screen. He had a much more dismal yards per carry, 3.21. Nothing to write home about, but you like that he's getting used more in the in the running game. I do think this is a great opportunity for both backs. We've been asked a lot about Melvin Gordon. Should you sell high? I think you should probably, if you had both backs, I, we have a couple uh, you know, followers that do have both backs. I think you should be looking to maybe sell one of them. And I would maybe sell a Melvin Gordon because it does feel like the talk's, clock's ticking. But not yet, because if you look, they play Jacksonville. Houston just got, you know, basically destroyed them through the run game last week. They All their running backs totaled for 41 RB touches, over 140 scrimmage yards, and three touchdowns against this Jacksonville defense, if you could call it a defense. I do think Javante takes over. And selling high on Melvin makes sense, but maybe the vet staves that off for just a little bit longer. Could be smart to hang on uh, after this matchup, and then they play the Jets next week. So the opportunities to build the sell-high portfolio for Melvin Gordon are actually there. So maybe you look to sell him even after next week, um, after a couple strong performances here. Johnny, I think the biggest question for this offense is with the injury to Jerry Judy, who is going to have a lingering high ankle sprain, it should mean more opportunities for guys behind Judy, which whether that's Cortland Sutton solely, whether it's Noah Fant, Tim Patrick, or KJ Hamler, can you put a finger on the pulse and tell us who you think will be the biggest beneficiary here? You're, you're muted, my boy. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> I was like, uh, a lot of people do expect uh, or are saying are back on the Noah Fant ban- bandwagon. But what I will say is that I don't project because Teddy Bridgewater generally doesn't like targeting his tight end. So I'm looking more at these pass catchers. Uh, Tim Patrick, a phenomenal wide receiver that is buried on a depth chart because this wide receiver core is so good and so talented. And so now he is going to get an opportunity share. And I just want to throw this out there. Of course, you weren't starting Tim Patrick last week, but dating back the last 15 games, Tim Patrick has scored double digit fantasy points in nine of those 15 games. So I do think that there is a very good opportunity here for Tim Patrick. He's the one I like the second most out of this wide receiver group. Now that the injury to Jerry Judy has happened, KJ Hamler, a very interesting, you know, upside play for sure. Not exactly, uh, not exactly set in how many targets he could see. So it is, like I said, a little bit more of a gamble there, but I do want to break into Cortland Sutton really quick and talk about Cortland Sutton because there might be a lot of people panicking on Cortland Sutton because of the week one. We know he's coming off of the injury. And so, you know, you could, you could have seen him on your waiver wire potentially uh, in this after this week because Cortland Sutton didn't put up a lot. Well, I just want to mention that he was against uh, Bradsbury last last week for the new uh, for the New York Giants, excuse me, who is one of the top corners in this league. He is known for shutting guys down. And so that is why Cortland Sutton didn't have a really good game last week. So if you can even target Cortland Sutton right now, get him on the cheap, then I would because I think he's going to be fine with Teddy Bridgewater. And I do think that uh, he'll get a few more now because Jerry Judy is no longer in the lineup. So I'm fine playing Sutton in this game. I do think Tim is a, is a fine flex play. And I do think that uh, KJ Hamler does have upside, but I don't know if I'm willing to necessarily throw him in the lineup right now. 
Awesome. When we projected the Jacksonville Jaguars last week, the question was, how much will Carlos Hyde annoy the James Robinson truthers? We got our answer right away because James Robinson truthers are now panicked in our DMs asking, is it time to get rid of James Robinson? Yeah. So, Austin, can we make sense of this backfield and and how do you see it shaking out? You know, the way I see it shaking out is James Robinson is going to end up being that lead dog, but I don't know how how big of a dog he's going to actually end up being in this offense. I think it's going to be an underperforming offense. I think it's going to be inconsistent. I think Urban Meyer is going to get really cute with a lot of different things. I think the Jaguars are slated to be another bottom-feeding team, but Urban Meyer is going to try out a lot of stuff. We looked at James Robinson. He got the start, right, and he out. And then he, he got the start, but then he was out-touched uh, 9-5, to five, ultimately. Here's the good part. He was the starter, he ran well, and he was featured in the passing attack with six targets, catching three of them for 29 yards. Also dominated snap percentage, James Robinson. It was 64% compared to Carlos Hyde's 34%. But here's the tougher part. Hyde ran well. Pro Football Focus ranked Carlos Hyde's day slightly ahead of James Robinson's, who also played well, but Robinson would need to separate himself to break out of this committee. And Hyde doesn't look like he wants that to happen. There's also rumors of Duke Johnson coming on board, which would completely decimate James Robinson's pass catching role. I'm not suggesting to start Carlos Hyde. And if you, but I'm not suggesting to feel great about James Robinson either. And if you can get out of this situation right now for someone who's going to, pay for what they saw last year in James Robinson are holding out hope for maybe more of that comes forward. I would pull that trigger right now. I don't believe in urban Meyer. That's or a fair Bevel. point. Bevel yeah. Or yeah. Yeah, I, or I, yeah. It's a fair point to be talking about the concern of this offense. And it's something we mentioned on the mock drafts throughout the offseason. is like, it just feels like urban Meyer could really junk this whole thing up and he could screw it up for a lot of people involved. One situation I think could actually be pretty good for them is the passing attack. If they can get uh, more in sync, I think there's going to be a lot of volume in this passing attack. And we saw it in week one, just didn't see the consistency out of it. You look at DJ Shark with 12 targets, Marvin Jones and LaVisca with nine each. You know, and each of them had their plays here. 50 yards for LaVisca Chenault through the air, Marvin Jones 77 and a touchdown. And of course, DJ Shark 86 and a touchdown. Most of which for Shark came on that 41 touchdown. 41-yard 40 yard touchdown catch, and Shark's 12 targets was actually tied for fourth among wide receivers. Um, LaVisca's not quite the alpha. LaVisca Chenault, not quite the alpha we thought we'd hoped for, but I also think he's going to have some value. I think Marvin Jones, who got 15.4 yards per reception, is going to have some value in this offense because I think that Jacksonville could actually end up being what Cincy has been the last few years, high volume and multiple wide receivers with viable options week to week. But this is a tough test, however, and I would most likely be interested – only in shark because i think his actual volume could float him here but i do think it's a tough matchup and, and you didn't probably draft shark with a lot of capital so you might have other options to start um, but i think he's the only one i'm interested in and then just a note on trevor lawrence before i kick it over to johnny here not quite there yet for me the offense looked out of sync against a much more inferior defense at houston i'm going to need to see lawrence take advantage of a good matchup before i'm trusting him in my lineups right now because he didn't really do that last week against houston but johnny eight targets for a tight end and james o'shaughnessy he should he should have some streaming value here yeah i definitely think that there is some uh something to watch out here uh, out for here in this tight end position for Jacksonville. The only thing I want to, I, this is a difficult matchup against Denver. So I'm not expecting him to have a mega, mega game this week, but I do want to note that if you look at this offense, right, we talk about Darrell bubble. He uses the tight end. We saw 
Hawkinson get 20% last year in a market share. I'm not quite saying James O'Shaughnessy is going to get see that amount of targets, but you, like Travis was saying, you expect this team to be down a lot and coming from behind. And what is a good weapon, a safety blanket for rookie quarterbacks? That is the tight end. So I do think more oftentimes than not, you'll see James O'Shaughnessy get, you know, six, eight targets in a game. And I do think he is going to be a flex worthy option at the tight end position. Come some weeks, it might be a difficult week, though, this week. All right, the Buffalo Bills will be on the road against the Miami Dolphins in our next matchup. It is a 47.5 point over under with Buffalo favored by 3.5 on the road. A lot of road favorites this week, as we've noticed. Uh, there's going to be some mismatches there. Maybe an opportunity for you to smash some of these road or these home uh, underdogs. Good, Always a good opportunity. But, Johnny, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Josh Allen. You called your shot last week saying that, Josh Allen, we should probably temper expectations. We should probably look at this with a, you know, through – uh, a different lens. Are you feeling the same way against Miami this week? Do you think Josh Allen's just going to have a bit of a slow start to the season here? I do believe it continues into this week. Now, I don't think it'll be as bad as what we saw last week. Uh, you know, Josh Allen not having a great game at all, but that was expected because it, it was the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. You still like what you did and, you know, saw as far as Josh Allen still getting nine carries. We know that that was a, a topic and an issue with him getting paid. Is that going to come down? Still seems to be there. Uh, did throw the ball 51 times. Those are some nice pluses. I do want to mention, though, Miami is no pa no slouch on defense either. Uh, pass defense is ranked sixth right now. They have good corners. So, again, I do think that Josh Allen is – you're going to play him this week. But do temper expectations. I expect him to finish in the top 12 this week, but it will probably be a lower-end uh, top 12 quarterback as opposed to those – what you draft him to be, you know, a top three or top five. I think you're going to have to wait another week for that. Austin, if we're, you know, tempering expectations and projecting Josh Allen, we should probably take a look at these pass catchers because it did seem mm -hmm. like the Bills were committed to maybe ditching the run and throwing the ball a million times and to one of four wide receivers that they are deploying out there. Yeah, I'm feeling really good about Stefan Diggs. We know that. 14 targets last week led the team. No surprises. I have no reason to believe this is going to slow down. He's an elite talent with an elite quarterback who has a solid relationship. I'm not removing Diggs, even if he had a little to mentor guarding him. Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, <laughs> and Gabe Davis then are the three wide receivers you'd be making a decision between. Cole Beasley's a 30-plus-year-old, eight dude who's not going to have a high ceiling, but he was in on 91% of the snaps. He had 13 targets but it's seven and a half yards per carry. They're going to frustrate you outside of full point PPRs. Emmanuel Sanders is the one I'm a little bit more interested in, Travis. He had a 93% snap share and had a 13 yard per carry average. He's my number two over there. He had eight targets, caught four of them. Um, number two in snap, as I mentioned, he just did more with the receptions he got than anybody else. I think that's what they're slotting him to do. Gabe Davis is interesting. We'll have to monitor and see how that evolves. Younger guy coming in. But he's really out in three wide receiver sets, just had a 51% snap share. So it's Stefan Diggs for sure. I'm going to Emmanuel Sanders after that, giving Cole Beasley some consideration in full point PPR. But I'm going to continue to monitor this situation as it should develop throughout the season. Yeah, we're going to have to continue to monitor the Buffalo backfield as well because Zach Moss last week was a surprise healthy scratch, 
Maybe that was punishment for a lackluster preseason. I'm not sure. I want to start with Moss because he's a guy I was banging the drum for now for about a year and a half. It might be time to just put the drum away at this point, um, but we'll see. I think Moss projects to be an overall around back that they can go back to, but right now it's Singletary, and they gave him the rock 11 times last week, 72 yards on the ground. He had three of five receiving, which is what you want to see out of your running back, definitely getting five targets there, but only had eight receiving yards. Did nothing to seed work this week, but we know Buffalo has moved quickly off of Singletary before in the past, so just be wary of that. But I think I look at this game, New England had real success against Miami in the defense via the run. As Johnny pointed out, uh, this Miami secondary, really good. Maybe maybe the best corner duo in the NFL right now uh, in Miami's corners. They have a lot of good ones. Um, I'm confident in Singletary this game, but uh, and there's a decent over-under in this game, 47.5, so you like that. Uh, Buffalo favor they could control the game when we move on to the Miami side of the ball speaking of backfield how concerned are you Johnny in this backfield because I know we've been high on Miles Gaskin you've been really touting your boy in Miles Gaskin but not the greatest first game uh, to be talking about uh, for your boy yeah I'm still fine on on Gaskin I actually do think this is a bit of a buy low opportunity nice if someone you know because people might have thought he was going to have a bigger game, but it is against the New England Patriots defense. Their defensive front wasn't known last year to really be all that great at stopping the run, but we do know that they have gotten some starters back. So again, this is not necessarily unexpected. What I want to say on, on positivity on why I still do think he's a, a, uh, a, a buy low right now. I, you know, and maybe this week, as far as matchups go, he's more of a PPR flex option because of the matchup. But you should be confident in his workload. He got 53% of the team's running back carries, 63% of the team's passing work, averaged 5.4 yards per carry against a pretty stout New England defense. So he's looking like he is that guy for them. And then when you're looking at like some of the backups, right, because the backups did get work. It's not like they were imaginary or anything. Salvin Ahmed, though, only only saw a total of like six care, six total touches and then you had uh, Malcolm Brown got only five carries in this game. So, again, it's, they will dig into some of this workload for Miles, but he looked the most explosive, and he get he got the bulk of the work. So, again, I do think uh, in this matchup he becomes more of a flex option, uh, and I'm still willing to throw him in there, especially if it's like a PPR, because he does get uh, the bulk of those touches out of the backfield uh, or receiving work, excuse me. We'll move on to the pass catchers for Miami. Uh, two as weapons in as far as receiver is concerned. Uh, Jalen Waddle had a nice showing: uh, six targets, four catches, sixty-one yards, and a touchdown. He showed some elusive and explosive tendencies in multiple ways last Sunday: fifteen point two five yards per reception. But maybe the person nobody is really talking about enough is Devontae Parker, who led the team in targets uh, with seven. He caught four of them for eighty-one yards. He looked healthy and productive. If you look at PFF's grade for um, cornerback wide receiver matchups this week Parker's is an an average advantage this week so we do see that maybe he has the best advantage of the of these wide receivers in uh, Miami then you have Will Fuller coming back from suspension for the PEDs what will the chemistry look like between Fuller and Tua how is this going to uh, you know affect the rest of the pass catchers I think with his production and a game where they will need to score to come back I'm fine flexing Parker and even Waddle even though I'm more 
Uh, I think Waddle's the more riskier play, but he's definitely got a lot of upside. I think Parker's the right play out of these pass catchers for now until we see something out of Fuller. And I think for this week, that's a nice play. Johnny, I wanted to pick it back to you for maybe your second Dolphin player with the initials MG, Mike Gusecki. Uh, How are you feeling about Gusecki as a streamable option this week? It's not a good week one. Again, didn't see any, uh, you didn't get any fantasy points. Uh, so if you had them in your lineup, apologies. Uh, I do think better days are ahead, but with Fuller coming back in the mix with, uh, you know, with them having this plethora of wide receiver talent right now that we just don't know how it's going to, you know, shake up. I thought just was kind of set up for a good game last week because of, you know, Will Fuller not being there first week. Uh, but it seems like they took just away in this game. So definitely if you need to let him go, want to, you want to go in a different direction this week. I do think that there are better matchups, uh, but it could get uh, in a couple of weeks, you could be looking to get just back in your lineup because he's that talented. Also, we've seen before that Will Fuller had an effect on Deshaun Watson and, cru- and mm-hmm. proved his points per game as a, as a signal caller. This could be something that maybe unlocks Tua a little bit. He is in a tough matchup this week. Yeah, he's in a tough matchup and in what we expect to be a pretty decent Buffalo Bills defense. They've kind of disappointed in the last season and, and this week, you know, or last week, susceptible at times. But yeah, to your point, Travis, Will Fuller, I think, is going to be a really welcomed addition there for Tua. Uh, last week with two of his numbers, 202 yards, one touchdown, one pick, got that rushing touchdown. You'd like to see that. More importantly, they won the game. The part that stood out to me the most was Tua having two passes of 30 or more yards, both to Jalen Waddell and to Devontae Parker. To me, that's demonstrating an ability to move the ball downfield. Fuller coming back is only going to help that. He's really one of the best in the NFL playing that role, and we just don't have a ton of opportunity to see it because he's always hurt or he's suspended or something happens. But Travis, you know how impactful Fuller was over there in Houston. So now him coming into Miami, it's a new season. If he's healthy and they're clicking, this could really be a big move here for the Dolphins. And Travis, I just wanted to say I really appreciated your Devontae Parker breakdown there so much in our league of record. I swapped Henry Ruggs out for Devontae Parker. I saw the roster notification. I thought, man, I really sold him on Parker right away. Mm -hmm. He went and swooped him up. That was breaking news for our league right there. Breaking news. Yeah, and I'm happy about it, you know. Well, speaking of good moves, we believe it's a good move for you to choose Manscaped. Fantasy football season is upon us. It's time you put the PP back in PPR League with the sponsors of today's show. Manscaped, the leader in below-the-waist grooming, just launched the new Performance 4.0 package. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers front office or have been uh, neglecting Aaron Rodgers or the way Aaron Rodgers seemed to be neglecting the offense last week. (laughs) Uh, Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code TFWMAN. This will help you tame that Troy Polamalu in your pants. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TFWMAN at manscaped.com. Once again, 20% off plus free shipping with the code TFWMAN. That's T-F-W-M-A-N at manscaped.com. Gentlemen, our next game has the opportunity to be a sneaky over under or a shootout here. And I know I said that last week with Philly's game against Atlanta, but Atlanta didn't really do their part. Now we've got San Francisco coming in and Philly will be hosting San Francisco in a 50 point over under. And, you know, once again, a road favorite here, San Francisco favored by three and a half. 
Johnny, I want to start with the guy who seems to be the motor for the passing attack. Before we get into what I think will be a big part of this breakdown, and that is the running backs, which we know are a hot item right now. I want to talk about Kittle because I want to know where we're at concern-wise for Kittle. We had talked about maybe the added weapons being a detriment to him, um, but we talked about how he had just always been a focal point of this offense. You obviously drafted him. You're rolling out there. Level of concern right now for for Kittle? Six or seven. Okay. Um, I do think I do think you know the wheels aren't going to fall off with Kittle, but I do project that he is not going to have or he is not going to reach the ceiling in which we had drafted him to be and which we had hoped and and saw a few years ago. It's just not the reality of this team. There's a lot more weapons that can and and uh, an ability for the quarterback to spread the ball around a lot better than what he had a few years ago. So. To me, yeah, if I can go out and trade Kittle and get a better option and sell him for his name, you know, like what people expect, and he had a decent week one, so I, I do think that you could still get a good value for him, but I am concerned forward what this opportunity could be like for, for George Kittle with, you know, we didn't have any Brandon Ayuk targets in this game, and yet we still saw Kittle not really – reach that full potential at 70 uh, receiving yards in that in that game what I will say is this matchup does seem to be a decent match the greatest matchup Philadelphia did hold Kyle Pitts and Hurst last week to eight for so again I could see around the same game that Kittle had last week happen again this I just don't to really get that ceiling uh, from Kittle that we were hoping uh, we drafted him. That's a fair point. And so, Austin, I'll just continue on because Kittle seems to be the quiet guy in the crowd of a lot of noise in San Francisco right now. And it seems to be some sort of soap opera that's developing between Shanahan and his players right now. And that has, you know, the biggest name being with Brandon Ayuk. So where are we at with this soap opera and how are you feeling uh, with Ayuk and the other pass catchers? You know, it's a wait and see. Shanahan said, I'm happy with Ayuk. It's nothing against Ayuk. I'm just also happy with Trent Sherfield, too. <laughs> Ayuk's been a little inconsistent because he's been in and out with injury and stuff, Shanahan said. If he wants to be out there every single play, he's got to be a lot better than the guy behind him. Yeah, so for me, this is kind of like a girlfriend trying to make their boyfriend jealous by flirting with another person a little bit and saying, Hey, you know, look at what's on the line here. Look at what could happen. I really just don't know. How, it's, it was one snap. You know what I mean? It was one yeah. more snap. It seems so specific and articulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's going to shake itself out. Ayuk is really, really talented and you can only keep talent off the field for so long. Well, you know, personal issues can get in the way and, you know, Josh Gordon's still not on the field, but Brandon Ayuk, you imagine we'll get it together. You're hoping this is just a newer player, second year guy coming into the league, more responsibility on his shoulders. Maybe he came up short in this offseason. Hopefully this serves as a wake up call for him um, because I think him and Debo Samuel there could make a really great combination. Of course, Debo Samuel with his 84 percent snap share and uh, the monster game near 200 yards is great. But I want to say with that 84 percent snap share. You know, that actually shows me there's room for movement. You know what I mean? It's not like when you see a uh, a, a DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett last year, both locked in for 90%, 95% plus. You know, Debo Samuel's moving in and out. And I think that means there's space for other folks to come in and have opportunity and 
take a lot and do a lot with that opportunity. So I think it's going to shift. It's going to move as the season keeps going, um, at least within that wide receiver core. I would trade Brandon or Debo Samuel right now if I could. I would sell this value high because I don't think he's going to have very many games like this. And I think people do believe that, oh, you know, Debo's all of a sudden like this uncovered gem. And I don't I don't think that continues. Well, it's not. I mean, to be fair to Debo, it's not like he's an uncovered gem. He was pretty good before Ayuk came into the lineup the year before. Mm-hmm. But I will say to your point, Debo is not a guy they use down the field, and they did in that Detroit game, and he got you know a lot of play down the field. And I think you're probably right. That tends to be the case. Austin, if I put a gun to your head, not that I would ever do that, and you had to start one of these guys, you're probably starting Debo, right? Like, there's no way we can roll Ayuk out right now with what's being no, talked about no. in San Francisco. And I, and I and I made a pretty uh, expensive trade for Ayuk in the offseason in our dynasty league and i'm not going to be starting Ayuk here moving forward but i do agree with johnny's point over here because i think when it all is said and done debo is the third most talented pass catcher on this team behind Brandon Ayuk and george kittle mm-hmm. um, who did have a 95 percent snap share in this last game and was number two on the team in targets and had 78 yards so when i think it's all shaken out and all is, is done like debo samuel i think is going to be that third guy on a run heavy team Yeah, absolutely, and it is a run-heavy team, and that is the reason why Elijah Mitchell was one of the biggest waiver ads. Uh, Well, I guess since we've only had one week, he is the biggest (laughs) waiver ad, but he's one of the biggest waiver ads in recent memory because, you know, uh, he is part of a run-heavy scheme, and he dominated in the in the touches that he got in Week One. We saw San Fran trade up for Trey Sermon in the offseason at three twenty-four of a draft pick. He was a surprise, healthy scratch. There's been two stories out there from beat writers. One is that this was a special team slash roster number game that they played, and they needed to get Trey Sermon out so they could get other special teamers in. They thought this game was in hand; they were able to do that. The other is that Trey and Ayuk missed a curfew, and now both of them were basically set to be in Shanahan's doghouse. Either way, Raheem Mostert goes down. He's going to be out at least eight weeks with the knee cartilage issue. Elijah Mitchell goes off, 19 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown, 83% of the running back touches, and he ran the same scheme in college and had a faster 40 time than Raheem Mostert. This will be a good test against Philly, but the over-under gets me excited for even Sermon here. uh, As you know, we've seen that before when a guy – you know, who's the goal line guy in Jeff Wilson or Tevin Coleman in this offense gets three to four touchdowns in a game because San Fran's just really good at moving the ball. Um, I think I'm definitely going to start Elijah Mitchell. If you picked him up off waivers, I'm trying to get him in my lineup. And I think Sermon's going to have some flex appeal. We did see the Niners go and pick up Trenton Cannon as we started to record this. So, you know, a lot of beat writers feel like that's even more of an indictment on Trey Sermon. We will see how that kind of works out. I will say this. um, We have definitive evidence of Kyle Shanahan and even his dad using lower capital backs in their system to run the offense because they're good. They're good fits for that system. And so I think you can be very excited about, you know, Raheem or I'm sorry, Elijah Mitchell, who I believe could be a one V one replacement for Raheem Mostert. And you can even have some excitement for Trey Sermon. I think investing in either of them, but I think Elijah Mitchell set up in this game and in a bunch of games going forward for some great matchups. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to make a case more on these RVs, but I think it's one of the biggest things we're watching uh, as we get into week two. I just want to know, Travis, if you would be targeting uh, Trey Sermon here for cheap. Yeah, I think it's a buy low opportunity on Sermon. I think if he can come in and prove, you know, if it becomes a, uh, a 
a motivation tactic by Shanahan that actually motivates Sermon to be better? I mean, no doubt that Sermon is a capable runner. Whether or not he fits the system, Johnny, we've we've debated that for sure. But Sermon could have that flex appeal from week to week if he becomes the Jeff Wilson role in this offense and can keep that. I just don't know if you – I mean, yeah, if you can try to get him on the – I just don't know if you can – Simply yeah, based on this new, because like most people are like, oh, it was just he wasn't in, uh, he was just inactive. So I got to see what. Yeah, he it's do. Like, like he should get. People the guy. are digging. Some people don't know that. Like some people think that being inactive means he like wasn't good. People people are digging their heels in either way, right? They're, you're either a sermon truther and you're saying, oh, he was inactive because they needed him and he's going to come and ball out, or you're the Elijah Mitchell side of the argument and you're saying he's going to be the guy. And both sides are digging their heels in. That's why I think week two, this is going to be the most exciting running back backfield to watch because we're going to find out quickly, you know, who starts. Maybe it's a ceremonial start. Who gets the carries? You know, who gets the work and who eventually scores the more points? It's going to be interesting to look at. On the other side, I think one of the most interesting things we need to look at here uh, for the, I almost asked you this because we talked about Kittle, Johnny, and you talked about selling Kittle for another piece. I wanted to ask you if Miles Sanders, if the Miles Sanders GM comes to you and says, I'll take Kittle for Sanders straight up, are you doing this deal? Because to me, Miles Sanders looks like maybe one of the most underrated picks of the draft coming in after week one. I, if I needed running back help, uh, then yeah, I would be fine taking this deal because we talked about this side. I mean, it was a little bit shady coming into the season what you could get but we always said hey look at this system that's coming in and what it's produced in the past and it's produced solid rb1s or low-end rb1s for you for fantasy purposes and so there was a path in which we said well there's you know miles sanders could end up being that kind of player for them we've seen him come out before and be an electric player and now it's looking like he is going to be a steal in drafts i know it was only one week right but total 20 total touches in that week four of five uh in the in the receiving work which was you know that was the the shade that was being thrown on him all preseason was like oh another you know drop pass by miles sanders but when it came to the game he ended up uh getting it done so i do think that miles sanders is talk about practice talk about practice i do think miles sanders is going to be a guy that uh ends up paying dividends for those who did draft him i do want to mention kenneth gainwell is someone that is interesting to me i wouldn't mind picking him up as a stash i don't know if i'm playing him this week uh but very interesting because he played in the beginning of this game it wasn't like oh once you know philadelphia got out of hand that they threw him in and and didn't give miles sanders carries they were using Kenneth Gainwell uh, to mix in. He had nine carries and three targets. And I want to mention, like, this is the defense that they're facing. I know it's you know, 49ers seems scary, but this 49ers team just gave up over 200 yards on the ground to the running or not on the ground, but, uh, you know, through the running back position last week to uh, Detroit. So I do think that this is a very good game for Miles Sanders. And again, if you are in some kind of PPR league and you need some dart throw, I do think that Gainwell is a potential there. Uh, but I, I like Miles Sanders moving forward. Speaking of dart throw, Jalen Hurts was throwing darts, and some of those were to Devonta Smith, who I wanted to ask, Austin, do we feel like Devonta Smith is more of a flash in the pan or somebody that's here to stay? We thought he'd be grandfathered into a big target share. We thought he could easily be their alpha, and we thought he had you know, the profile of a great prospect in the NFL, you know, save the size. How do you feel about Devonta Smith? Going to continue his dominance here? Yeah, well, here's what we do know about Devonta Smith. He was a top-10 pick. And he led the team last week in targets, yards, and fantasy points. 
Also in snap percentage with 87% compared to the number two, Jalen Rieger, 70%. Travis, he looks good on paper and on film, and I'm feeling good about him until we see a reason not to. And given his pedigree, camp reports, and the week one performance, all arrows are pointing in the right direction. Wanted to take just a second here to touch on his number two wide receiver over there, and Jalen Rieger, who I'm liking as a flex play. He's got that type of play style to take the lid off the defense and seems to have a good stranglehold on that number two role. He tied the team in receptions with six. He scored a touchdown rapport with him and Hertz looks solid. That offense looks like it's going to be a really fun to watch all season long. Yeah. And I just have to give a shout out to our guy, Jalen Hurts, who all three of us were high on through mock drafts this summer. All three of us banging the drum that Jalen Hurts could be a league winner. And I know we, we shouldn't take week one victory laps, but man, he looked good. 27 of 35, a 77% percent completion percentage uh three touchdowns seven carries guys for 62 yards that's what you love to see and hey would you look at that he was qb7 on the week or a top 10 qb which is what he was most of all during last year and now they've improved the offense built it around him you know i think they were trying to keep hurts under wraps most of what we've talked about you know uh and i think they've basically done that he's got top five over under this week 60 or more rushing yards in four of his last five games he's a smash start this week for me guys Yep. I'm so right. impressed with him. They put him through the ringer and he came out so strong. Like you don't see guys not crack under that kind of pressure. He didn't. and He delivered. I think. Yeah. I yeah. just had to say that. I'm so excited. About no, that. no. And I agree completely. I think what they did to him was kind of unless they told him, you know, backdoor, Johnny, they're like, hey, we're just going to mark. We're going to talk smack on you in the offseason. Just don't worry about that because you're our guy. But we just want to, you know, put smoke screens up. But they definitely did put him through some sort of ringer there. Uh, are you guys playing Goddard or Ertz this week? You know, Goddard's always going to have touchdown upside, I think. But I feel like if you have other options, I mean, I don't know if you would, though, right, Johnny? Like, you drafted Goddard with some pretty high capital. I think you're probably rolling him out here this over-under. You like the over-under here. All right, moving on to the next game here. We've got the Indianapolis Colts hosting the Los Angeles Rams. And you guys have guessed it. The Rams are favored on the road again here. <laughs> so we have another road favorite. The Rams favored by four points in a 47 and a half point over under. When we look at the Los Angeles Rams side of the football, I want to start with Matthew Stafford, the big addition for the Rams. And now he's going to get an indie squad who just got torched by Russ. How are we feeling about Matt Stafford, Johnny? Looked like he passed the entire test Sunday night. He looked great. Uh, and I'm and I would throw him out there again uh, in in this matchup. Again, we saw Russell Wilson absolutely feast on this defense. The one thing I do want to mention, and just it's just, I'm not saying that you get off the Matthew Stan- Matthew Stafford bandwagon. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, and it, I don't necessarily think it hinders him, but it is something to note. We do need to monitor if Xavier Rhodes plays in this game. We do know week one he did not play. That's their best corner for Indianapolis. The other thing is is that Matthew Stafford, despite having a pretty solid uh, week one as far as quarterback fantasy points go, he did only throw the ball 26 times. He did go over 300 yards. He was very highly efficient with those targets, completing 20 out of 26. So there is a little bit of that. You know, we talk about the speculation coming in from the season. We thought that Matthew Stafford was going to get a lot of, you know, a lot of throws, you know, could get in the 40s and things like that. And that was partially what liked him, especially when uh, when Akers went down, right? But it doesn't seem like they're doing that, and Sean McVay's doing that. They just want to be the most efficient offense they possibly can. So it will be interesting noting Matthew Stafford going forward because, once again, 
That defense is also really, really good. So there's probably not going to be many games where they're having to throw from behind and play catch up. So there is that downside risk for Matthew Stafford for me. Yeah, I like that you pointed that out, Johnny. And we'll look at actually just Russ Wilson last week, who threw about 26 times as well. So it looks like this would be a good test against Indy, who gave up an efficient performance to Seattle in their offense, which was under some transition as well. want to talk a little bit about the running back uh, situation in, in Los Angeles here. Daryl Henderson got the uh, work last week. Uh, you know, call it Sony Michelle getting up to speed. Call it, you know, whatever you want. But it was Daryl Henderson's show, 16 carries, 70 yards, and a touchdown. One reception for 17 yards. Showed well uh, in that lead uh, back roll and even got the one target, caught it. 16 carries was top 12 among running backs last week. Um, look, I have a bias towards Henderson for sure. I, I want to be completely honest. But he gave McVay no reason to go away from him in, uh, you know, in week one. He gave no reason to go towards Sony Michelle. Is the least short? Yes, it sure is. And I think we hang on to our Sony Michelle shares for sure. But as of now, this is Hendy's job. And Indy just gave up four, 5.69 yards per carry to Carson last Sunday. I'm starting Henderson with confidence here in this matchup. I think it's a high enough over-under. We talk about them being favored. We talk about them controlling the pace. Um, and I'm hanging on to Sony without you know, until further notice, but I, I don't have a, a bunch of confidence in rolling him out there in any lineup. Want to talk a little bit about that wide receiving core because we saw a, a show from Cooper Cup and even Van Jefferson got involved. But, but Austin, can we get Robert Woods involved in this offense? You know, we could, and I think he will be involved in creative fashions. He's that type of player. We saw him get a carry last week as well, but he's going to have a problem with Cooper Cup, as we mentioned. And as Johnny mentioned, 26 pass attempts from Matthew Stafford. If you listen to the lineup show from last week, I actually talked a little bit about Matt Stafford and how this team isn't going to want to have him chuck the ball all a whole lot because they don't need to, and that's not going to change. But Cooper Cup is Matt Stafford's favorite option. 7 for 10, 108 yards, and a touchdown. And we've all heard the narrative of Cup and Stafford coming to practice early, staying late, hitting extra reps before and after, eating cotton candy together over at the Santa Monica Pier. Rumors are they have their parents have a date to meet each other coming up pretty soon. These two <laughs> guys are clicking, and that's not great for Robert Woods. Three for four for 27 yards. I did like that he had the touchdown, and he had the most looks in the red zone. Um, three targets, two cups, one, and he did catch that target, so I like that. So to answer your question, Travis, can we get Robert Woods involved? Yes, but he's not going to be involved as regularly, as actively, as pivotably as we've seen Robert Woods involved in the past. He's almost going to be more like a luxury item for the Rams. That's what I foresee moving forward. Yeah, and I think that there might be something to see here with Tyler Higby getting some of Robert Woods' love, too. I mean, this is still early on in the year, but maybe Higby is the reason why. And, Johnny, I'll just pitch it to you because I know Higby is your boy and you love talking about him. But he definitely had, you know, nothing over-inspiring usage, but enough usage to say, like, hey, the knock on Higby was, you know, he's not going to get used. Like, he's not going to be the guy we think. And he was used like a tight end one last week. Yeah, like – Usage, we want to talk about usage. Usage is all green lights, baby. Tyler Higby, 96% tight end leaders on route percent. That was number one. That was over Logan Thomas, over Travis Kelsey last week, over Hawkinson, who saw 84. Kyle Pitts saw 79. Who was number one on that list? That's right. Tyler Higby. Not only that, tight end share, tight end market share leaders after week one. Guess where my boy Tyler Higby is on that list? Number four with 
I had been touting and beating this drum all offseason. People didn't want to believe it because they want to throw in, oh, these rookie, these rookie tight ends, these rookie, oh, look at this rookie Jacobs. Oh, he's a stud. No, it's Tyler Higby's show, baby, and he's getting 23% market share. Sign me up. That was even higher than what I had projected, too, which makes me even more excited. Tyler Higby, beast. <laughs> Well, we got to move on in the part right. one of the weekly Tyler That's Higgins my, That was my here. victory. That was my, no, my yeah. I had to do I, a victory lap. Look, I that. appreciate it. I teed you up for that. I kind of knew it was coming, but we will move on a little bit here. And Austin, I'll just ask to start at the top of the, you know, indie uh, offense here at Carson Wentz. Do we think there's any kind of streaming viability to Carson Wentz in this particular game? Only because they are in a high over under and they will have to be coming back here. Did you see anything out of him? You know, it's not, we didn't have a horrible game last week. 22 points on 251 yards, two touchdowns, but this was against the infamously shaky Seattle pass defense. He seems streamable for the 2021-2022 season, but I'm not really liking him this week going up against Los Angeles in what looks to be a top three pass defense. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I want to speak quickly on the rest of the passing attack that Carson Wentz is going to be going to. Uh, look, we came in thinking that it was going to be Michael Pittman and ended up being Zach Pascal. But really what it ended up being was the tight ends and the running backs for Indianapolis. It wasn't really that they used the wide receivers here. You look at Pittman lackluster, three of four for 29 yards. Wait and see if that Wentz and Pittman uh, you know, chemistry can develop. We look at Zach Pascal. I think a lot of this was game script dependent for him. Uh, late touchdown made it two touchdowns for him, four of five for 43 receiving yards. He was third in targets behind both the backs, but he led all wide receivers. Still only five targets. Not what you want out of your number. Number one wide receiver. We look at Rams secondary that poses a PFF matchup grade of just 12.5 for Pascal, which is ranked as very poor. It's not a good matchup for these wide receivers. They're home underdogs, which should mean the Colts are used the passing game to come back or stay within striking distance. But this is just a bad matchup for the pass catchers. Wentz targeted the backs 42.9%. So I'll kick it to Johnny here to talk about that. But that was the top mark in week one. And I don't want to overreact here, but it seems as if Indy is comfortable working the offense through the backs and the tight ends in an effort to make Wentz's life easier. And so is that what we're seeing here, Johnny? And do we actually see a road for Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines to maybe coexist as receivers this season? I, I definitely do think that, that that's the reality. And and we've seen this before from this offense. They love Naheem Hines. We know that because they went out, signed him to a contract extension uh, right before the season started. So that should indicate in itself that they still like him and still want to utilize him. The thing and reason why I feel so confident in keeping Hines and that I do think Jonathan, will, uh, Jonathan Taylor, excuse me, is going to continue to see this workload is it sad to say but it's probably the truth and that the coaching staff as well as like Carson Wentz doesn't look like he's going to bounce back and so and you saw that because he had a 5.5 average depth of target which bodes or average air yards which was 30th in the league not great when you're talking about these pass catchers, but great when you're talking about these running backs. So I do think that work continues. I think that that's going to be the game plan is dump these got dump the ball off to both Hines and Jonathan Taylor, not the greatest matchup on paper, but we did see Monty go over a hundred uh, rushing yards last week against the same defense. So you're rolling out Jonathan Taylor. I do think Jonathan or Naheem Hines, excuse me, in a PPR league is worth a flex option. 
Colts being underdogs at home give us an opportunity to tell you about underdog fantasy. Underdog fantasy is the best and easiest play to pl- place to play fantasy football for big cash prizes. They have player prop bets like over under on touchdowns, receiving yardage, rushing totals, and so much more. They've got battle royales. They've got rivals. And we're going to be helping you each and every week build a few bet slips so that when you go to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, they're going to give you $10 when you use the promo code TFW. That is underdogfantasy.com or download the app in your app store. Use the promo code TFW for 10 bucks of free money. That's TFW for 10 free daras. All right, Pittsburgh Steelers are hosting the Las Vegas Raiders in a 48-point over-under. Pittsburgh, finally, we get a team that's favored at home here. Pittsburgh favored by five and a half. We want to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders, who had a part in getting us one of the best matchups, maybe the best matchup of the week one slate. And it was on Monday night. Johnny and I jumped on that Monday night football stream, and it was a it was a dandy. Uh, we did that on YouTube, so make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. But, Johnny, we'll start with Derek Carr here. Is it time to get in the car in this matchup against Pittsburgh? Is there stream streamable options here for Derek Carr? I know Johnny said there's guys he's going to start, like maybe Mac Jones over Carr here because of the match matchup against Pittsburgh. I I don't know if I would start him uh, this week as my quarterback. I'm not. I think he's a decent play. Uh, Austin, what are you thinking on Derek Carr? Do you have you? Yeah, I, I, I like I like Derek Carr in best ball formats. I was smashing him in a lot of those other leagues because he has these games when he pops off. 400 yards in week one against a pretty darn good Baltimore defense. That's the most yards he's had since 2018. And he has really good weapons. Well, he has better weapons than he's ever had. Darren Waller might be the best tight end in the game. Ryan Edwards looks really good. Henry Ruggs is figuring it out but they've got other players there hunter renfro they got guys who can really get it done josh jacobs Kenyon drake this looks to be the best situation Derek carr has been in but i'm not going up against i'm not going to be starting him this week going up against uh the arguably number one pass defense in pittsburgh we saw what they did to josh allen last week keeping him to just 270 yards and one touchdown Derek carr is all right he's not better than josh allen he's not going to do better than josh allen go find somebody else this week but keep carr in mind moving forward he might even have some regular playability as we'll see how his rapport with the other weapons sticks car could have his best season yet I mean, we've had great streamable matchups from car when he didn't have established weapons before which is to, to austin's point it's like if brian Ad- edwards comes out of nowhere here and i'll talk about him in a second then we've got opportunity for Derek car to actually hit a different kind of ceiling there but uh johnny i wanted to talk about the running back backfield because <laughs> great update from sleeper today. I mean, not yeah. great for Josh Jacobs owners and Josh Jacobs himself, but they said that uh, Josh Jacobs was questionable with everything. Uh, so he is questionable missing practice uh, with everything right now. And that's kind of how it seemed right guys. When we watched that game, it looked like every play Jacobs was on the sideline, getting attention for some new Nick or dinged up injury. Definitely not something you like to see from a fantasy player standpoint, right? Like that, it was scary. Every single time he went down, I was like, oh, is Josh Jacobs dead? I hope not. But um, once again, monitor this throughout the entire weekend. Stay with us. We'll keep you posted on this. 
it could be another game time call like it was on Monday. Fortunately, this game is played on sat on Sunday, excuse me, and not on Monday. So you'll have a little bit more clarity on whether you could play him or not. He did see 63% of the rushing share in week one. Uh, and he did have a couple of targets, which was an added bonus. We didn't, he didn't see very many of those last year. And so that is a, an up, up, upsell, I should say, an upsell for Josh Jacobs. However, Kenyon Drake, though, no slouch, saw 38% of the rushing share and did get five of the six, of the seven targets, excuse me, out of the backfield for the Oakland Raiders or the Las Vegas Raiders, which we did expect. I want to note not the greatest matchup against this Pittsburgh Steelers defense, but if there is a bright side, that Singletary, who a lot of people just hate on and just including Travis, he just tears them apart. Uh, he did rush 11 times for 72 yards. So Jacobs, if he falls into the end zone, could have another day like he did this past week. It was nothing spectacular on the ground per se, but he always has that week-to-week touchdown upside by falling into the end zone. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's definitely that. He's, it's a run-heavy offense, or it has been historically. That's how Gruden's actually coached the offense historically. But, you know, we are getting kind of antsy to see a pass catcher in this offense break out and other than Darren Waller, which I think that's what this offense is. It's the Darren Waller show featuring other guests from week to week. And last week's guest was kind of Brian Edwards, four of five uh, receiving 81 yards. Looked like a big play threat was clutch for the Raiders late in the fourth and into overtime nearly had the game winning touchdown. That was a back shoulder boundary catch that showed a lot of chemistry with Carr. You know, that's usually something that you've been established with your quarterback a while if you're nailing those back shoulder throws. Similar to Austin's take on Cole Beasley, Hunter Renfro, nine targets, six catches, 70 yards, but like you're not getting inspired by Hunter Renfro. Uh, he's not somebody you're even willing to like get roll out there. Teams have historically had success targeting the slot against Pittsburgh, but I'm not that brave to be rolling Hunter Renfro out there. You can sign me up to, to, to bench him this week. We talked about Edwards, and we've talked about him being comp to T.O. from Gruden. I'm stashing him. I'm keeping on to him. I wrote about him in the waiver column. Um, but I got to see the usage carry over from week to week. I'm not going to put him out there this week. And then Darren Waller, just a quick note here. Uh, because I'm invested in Darren Waller on a bunch of leagues, and I think Darren Waller is the best, and I love him. Uh, 19 carry or 19 targets last week. He led all pass catchers. That's all wide receivers and tight ends last week. And then John Gruden, of course, coming out, hyping him up, says he's the best player I've ever coached. So I'm going to continue to look for him. So Darren Waller looking like that perfect second-round pick we talked about coming into the season here. On the other side of the ball, um, I asked you last week, Austin, if we thought Ben was dusted. He didn't show us anything to give us inspiring uh, confidence that he isn't dusted, and now he's not going to be playing Buffalo. So do we have a little bit more confidence in him in the passing attack now that Ben Roethlisberger uh, isn't playing Buffalo? Yeah, I really like Big Ben in Week 2, Travis, going up against the 22nd-ranked Raiders pass defense. Big Ben, Mike Tomlin, and the Steelers, they love to chuck the rock, as we talked about in earlier segments. Top three in pass attempts the last two seasons Big Ben has played. And as we know, opportunity is gold. This could be a sneaky shootout. It's already a 48-point over-under. And I'm kind of leaning towards the over on this one. This could be a a high-scoring game, and I like what is perceived to be Big Ben's role in that outcome. You're, you're muted, Big Travi. It's the mute show. 
<laughs> I think the pass catcher should should benefit greatly from that as well, right, Austin? I mean, I think we saw something in Deontay Johnson being the target leader here, Chase Claypool being the big play threat, and Juju being the safety net, even in this tough matchup against Buffalo and a lot of last year. How do we feel about those pass catchers? Are we rolling out Deontay and Claypool here? Similarly, like when you roll out of bed, Travis, in the morning and the sun, you know, rises on the east, sets on the west. And, you know, Jared Goff knows all about that. That is what happened with Deontay and just rolling out of bed with these 10 targets. Once again, even against a difficult matchup, still saw 10. It's sure he only did end up catching five of those uh, for for out of out of the 10 targets but he did get the touchdown which was nice to see i do think better days are ahead for Deontay. he'll continue to see that volume i would roll him out there in this matchup and play him as far as claypool goes he continues to be the big play threat for the steelers however he did see the smallest market share of these three wide receivers uh i do think once again you can play him i feel the second most confident about playing chase claypool in this game he also did get a rushing attempt for 25 yards which is nice to see we expect him to continue to you know get a, a carrier two down down through the next few weeks because they like to use them all over the field juju smith schuster to me and ppr i would be willing to flex him but very similar to kind of a a, a hunter renfro right the upside just really doesn't seem to be there for juju he did see the second most amount of targets only uh but didn't really produce much with them again we know that the defense uh, for Buffalo, if you're going to be able to attack any of them, it was through that slot receiver, but Claypool's just couldn't get it going. Or, excuse me, uh, Schuster couldn't get it going. So I am trying to keep him on my bench if I can, if I have better options. But this week, the only two I'm feeling really confident in are Deontay and Chase in this matchup. I want to put a little bit of confidence into Najee Harris truthers out there because, yes, it was a bad game. 16 carries, 45 yards, only one reception on three targets for four yards. The line didn't look great. It was a tough matchup against Buffalo, but he's going to get the Raiders. That's a bottom five matchup on paper against the run, and I'm not worried about Najee who, you know, we talked about him not leaving the field, guys, and he literally almost didn't leave the field in that game against Buffalo. He was in on 100% of running back touches. He'll get this cupcake magic mat matchup against Vegas. You drafted him with high cap. Just be a little bit more confident. We don't want to panic too early. I think uh, that's a situation that we like to see in Najee Harris, just getting all that volume there. All right, our final game of part one. We're going to talk about the Chicago Bears hosting the Cincinnati Bengals and Andy Dalton's revenge game. Revenge uh, game. Yeah, it's the 44, <laughs> 45 point over under. We don't even know. Hopefully Dalton doesn't even start, but we'll, we'll get into that. Hopefully. Uh, we have Cincinnati favored by three on the road, another road favorite, or I'm sorry, Chicago favored by three at home. Sorry. Uh, and when we look at Cincinnati, we, we saw this situation where Jamar chase actually, after all the off season woes, after all of that had a big, nice welcoming party to the NFL had his big game, but now he gets the bears. Johnny, where are we at with Jamar chase? We got to continue rolling him out there as the number one option in this offense. Correct. Jamar Chase is going to be the number one option, but I wouldn't, I would, if you're playing him this week, temper your expectations, not a great matchup. We saw what uh, the bears 
corner did to Robert Woods pretty much kept him bottled up. We saw that secondary wide receiver, Cooper Cup, last week really go off. And I think that that's what you're going to see this week with T. Higgins. T. Higgins was second on this team in targets. Uh, and like I said, Cooper Cup just went off for 108 yards and a touchdown against that same position. So I am looking to get T. Higgins in my lineup. And then as far as Tyler Boyd goes, I know that there is a big question mark on Tyler Boyd. He didn't have the greatest week one. And it, and with this being such a stacked wide receiver core, you're really going to have to kind of pick and choose with Tyler Boyd. It could be a sneaky play this week. Uh, you know, you again, looking back at this Bears defense and what happened to him last week, Van Jefferson and DJX just combined for 100 yards and a TD. I'm not saying that's exactly what Tyler Boyd will get, but he'll definitely get a nice little market share and he could take advantage of it. It's much more of a PPR play uh, than a standard. I don't know if I'd go and play him in a standard league, but there is uh, an opportunity for a dart throw a big day for Tyler Boyd. Awesome. I wanted to let you expand on Tyler Boyd because I think there is some concern that he could be the odd man out in this offense, especially if Joe Mixon uh, will be, you know, used in the passing game as much as he was. And I'll talk a little bit about Mixon shortly, but Tyler Boyd, are, are we completely scared off? Johnny made the case that like, there's going to be spots where you can pick and choose, but it yeah. was, he was the wide receiver 11 with Burrow before Burrow went down last year. Yeah. I like, the role I, I, like, I like the offense i like the quarterback i like the presumed pace of this team um i want to get in on boyd travis but boyd hasn't broken 20 fantasy points uh more than twice and there's a lot of hungry mouths in that offense now he had no red zone looks last week no exceptional role on the team for tyler boyd it could happen for him the way it could happen for any third wide receiver on any team you can always catch two touchdowns and have a great day. But I think that's going to be the type of performance we would need from Boyd to actually make him an impactful fantasy player. I don't think it's going to be consistent and I don't think it's going to really be anything you can rely on too much now that T Higgins and Jamar Chase both look like they're rocking and rolling. Yeah, I think Burrow is a guy when we look at the offense that I just wanted to make a note of like, I'm not ready to just fully go in on and stream just yet, especially in this matchup against the Bears. But I think as this offense gets more chemistry and gets more dialed in, Burrow could end up on our radar as a guy that's a fringe QB one and for sure somebody that we're looking at in QB two leagues. And, you know, Joe Mixon, uh, just hats off to those that drafted Joe Mixon. 29 carries led all running backs last year playing a stingy Chicago defense, but they gave up a top 20 PPR performance to Henderson. So looking good for Joe Mixon in this matchup. Moving on to the Chicago Bears, where things don't look as good for them. Uh, I want to talk about Dave Montgomery, Johnny, first and foremost, because we wanted to look at this pass-catching role, because part of what made him so special last year in the back half of last year was being used in the passing game because Tariq Cohen was out. Cohen again out this year, but they brought in Damian Williams, and they did see Damian Williams see some of the passing work in this game against the Rams. Obviously, the offense out of sync. Monty looked great as a runner. What's your pulse check here on the running back core? I still want Monty. I still think Monty's the best player to target in this backfield. Again, I don't. It, you shouldn't be too scared off of Damian Williams. Now, I will say Damian Williams is the clear-cut handcuff that you want to Monty, but Daryl Patterson in the same offense, he was getting about the same amount of looks as Williams got in this game. Also, if you're watching the game, uh, there was a significant amount of time in the third quarter where Monty had taken a, he had a, a handoff it looked to be a uh, helmet-to-hand collision, and then it uh, Monty got a dislocated finger, and so they brought him out, put him went in the locker room, fixed it, and then you saw him come back out. So 
definitely wouldn't suggest starting Damian Williams this week. It still looks to be Monty is a full go. He's got 67% of the rushing share there. And, you know, again, the targets weren't, weren't great. But again, I will also point out that if Fields ends up coming into this game anyway, which we kind of expect or sooner rather than later, those targets will will generally decline as well because Fields is going to hold it and uh, and run with it. So don't be too scared off by the lack of passing work right now. You know, I think at the top of the show, we had asked about waiver wires or uh, not waiver wires, but guys you held on to too long. And I think Matt Nagy is in danger of holding on to Andy Dalton too long in this offense. And I really hope that doesn't happen because it seems to have sunk the passing game quite a little bit, at least in that first week. It was a tough matchup. We knew that against the Rams, but no Bears pass catcher eclipse 50 yards receiving it. We look at it and Dalton is going to get his old team here and I'll let Austin talk a little bit on it if there's any appeal here uh, but he's going to get his old team but most specifically Allen Robinson is has a cornerback matchup that PFF grades as excellent and an advantage of an advantage grade of 86 so we're really high on Robinson I know he had a down week six of 11 but 11 targets is very good for your alpha one wide receiver it's a target share that he's used to getting and I think Dalton against the old team and then this great matchup that should be something he should at least be able to exploit now given the the you know state of the secondary and the way that this became a shootout against Minnesota Austin is there any world where you're starting in those deep Q2 QB leagues you're willing to put in Dalton as that second QB. You know, in a deep two QB league, as you mentioned, there probably are not a lot of quarterbacks available on that waiver wire of yours anyways. So if there ever was a week to pick up Andy Dalton because he might be available for you, this would be the week to get him in your lineup and get him started. The reason is they're going up against a bottom five pass defense in Cincinnati. Um, But the problem with that is that it's a nice matchup for Dalton. It's also a nice matchup for Fields. And the transition is on its way. It's about to be the Fields era. um, And that could happen in the middle of a game. So Andy Dalton, if you you needed a streamable option, if if you're going between like an upside wide receiver in your super flex or an Andy Dalton, I'd still probably take Andy Dalton in that position. But that's about it. Well, that is about it for us on the part one week uh, two matchup show. That does it for us. Make sure you get over to part two by subscribing anywhere you get your podcast. And if you have any further lineup questions, make sure you're subscribed over on YouTube and you tune in Sunday morning an hour and a half before kickoff and check the fantasywhispers.com for our weekly rankings. For Austin Sear and Johnny Gametime Hicks, I'm Big Travi. We're the Fantasy Whispers, and we'll catch you next time. We're out. Peace. Peace. Oh, hey, you made it to the end of the video. If you like what you saw, go ahead and hit subscribe. Make sure you hit that bell so you get notified anytime we drop new content or go live. And if you're still not sold yet, check out one of these videos.